Chapters twelve and thirteen of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twelve. How the engagements prospered. The October sun had painted the forest trees with the gorgeous tints of autumn, and the November winds had changed them to a more sober hue ere J. C. Devere came again to Laurel Hill. Very regularly he wrote to Maud, kind, loving letters which helped to cheer her solitary life nelly still remained with mrs kelsey and though she had so far forgiven her stepsister as to write to her occasionally she still cherished toward her a feeling of animosity for having stolen away her lover on his return to rochester j c de vere had fully expected that his engagement would be the theme of every tongue and he had prepared himself for the attack how then was he surprised to find that no one had the least suspicion of it though many joked him for having quarrelled with nelly as they were sure he had done by his not returning when she did mrs kelsey had changed her mind and resolved to say nothing of an affair which she was sure would never prove to be serious and the result showed the wisdom of her proceeding no one spoke of maud to j c for no one knew of her existence and both mrs kelsey and nelly whom he frequently met scrupulously refrained from mentioning her name at first he felt annoyed and more than once was tempted to tell of his engagement but as time wore on and he became more and more interested in city gaieties he thought less frequently of the dark-eyed maud who with fewer sources of amusement was each day thinking more and more of him still he was sure he loved her and one morning near the middle of november when he received a letter from her saying i am sometimes very lonely and wish that you were here he started up with his usual impetuosity and ere he was fully aware of his own intentions he found himself ticketed for canandaigua and the next morning louis kennedy looking from his window and watching the daily stage as it came slowly up the hill screamed out he's come he's come a few moments more and maud was clasped in j c s arms kissing her forehead her cheek and her lips he held her off and looked to see if she had changed she had and he knew it happiness and contentment are more certain beautifiers than the most powerful cosmetics and under the combined effects of both maud was greatly improved she was happy in her engagement happy in the increased respect it brought her from her friends and happy too in the unusual kindness of her stepfather all this was manifest in her face and for the first time in his life j c told her she was beautiful if you only had more manner and your clothes were fashionably made you would far excel the city girls he said a compliment which to maud seemed rather equivocal when he was there before he had not presumed to criticize her style of dress but he did so now quoting the city bells until half in earnest half in jest maud said to him if you think so much of fashion you ought not to marry a country girl pshaw returned j c i like you all the better for dressing as you please and i still wish you would acquire a little city polish for i don't care to have my wife the subject of remark if maud glendower comes in the spring you can learn a great deal of her before the twentieth of june maud coloured deeply thinking for the first time in her life that possibly j c might be ashamed of her but his affectionate caresses soon drove all unpleasant impressions from her mind and the three days that he stayed with her passed rapidly away he did not mention the will but he questioned her of the five thousand which was to be hers on her eighteenth birthday and vaguely hinted that he might need it to set himself up in business he had made no arrangements for the future he said there was time enough in the spring and promising to be with her again during the holidays he left her quite uncertain as to whether she were glad he had visited her or not 
the next day she was greatly comforted by a long letter from james who wrote occasionally evincing so much interest in cousin maud that he always succeeded in making her cry though why she could not tell for his letters gave her more real satisfaction than did those of j c fraught as the latter were with protestations of constancy and love slowly dragged the weeks and the holidays were at hand when she received a message from j c saying he could not possibly come as he had promised no reason was given for this change in his plan and with a sigh of disappointment maud turned to a letter from nelly received by the same mail after dwelling at length upon the delightful time she was having in the city nelly spoke of a fancy ball to be given by her aunt during christmas week mr de vere was to be ivanhoe she said and she to be rowena you don't know she wrote how interested j c is in the party he really begins to appear more as he used to do he has not forgotten you though for he said the other day you would make a splendid rebecca it takes a dark person for that i believe maud knew the reason now why j c could not possibly come and the week she had anticipated so much seemed dreary enough notwithstanding it was enlivened by a box of oranges and figs from her betrothed and a long affectionate letter from james de vere who spoke of next christmas saying he meant she should spend it at hampton you will really be my cousin then he wrote and i intend inviting yourself and husband to pass the holidays with us i want my mother to know you maud she will like you i am sure for she always thinks as i do this letter was far more pleasing to maud's taste than were the oranges and figs and louis was suffered to monopolize the latter a privilege which he appreciated as children usually do after the holidays j c paid a flying visit to laurel hill where his presence caused quite as much pain as pleasure so anxious he seemed to return rochester could not well exist without him one would suppose from hearing him talk of the rides he planned the surprise parties he managed and the private theatricals of which he was the leader do they pay you well for your services louis asked him once when wearying of the same old story j c understood the hit and during the remainder of his stay was far less egotistical than he would otherwise have been after his departure there ensued an interval of quiet which as spring approached was broken by the doctors resuming the work of repairs which had been suspended during the coldest weather the partition between the parlour and the large square bedroom was removed folding doors were made between the windows were cut down a carpet was bought to match the one which maud had purchased the summer before and then when all was done the doctor was seized with a fit of the blues because it had cost so much but he could afford to be extravagant for a wife like maud glendower and trusting much to the wheat crop and the wool he started for troy about the middle of march fully expecting to receive from the lady a decisive answer as to when she would make them both perfectly happy with a most winning smile upon her lip and a bewitching glance in her black eyes maud glendower took his hand in hers and begged for a little longer freedom wait till next fall she said i must go to saratoga one more summer i shall never be happy if i don't and you i dare say wouldn't enjoy it a bit the doctor was not so sure of that her eyes her voice and the soft touch of her hand made him feel very queer and he was almost willing to go to saratoga himself if by these means he could secure her how much do they charge he asked and with a flash of her bright eyes the lady answered i suppose both of us can get along with thirty or forty dollars a week including everything but that isn't much as i don't care to stay more than two months this decided the doctor 
he had not three hundred dollars to throw away and so he tried to persuade his companion to give up saratoga and to go with him to laurel hill telling her as an inducement of the improvements he had made there were two parlours now he said and with her handsome furniture they would look remarkably well she did not tell him that her handsome furniture was mortgaged for board and borrowed money neither did she say that her object in going to saratoga was to try her powers upon a rich old southern bachelor who had returned from europe and who she knew was to pass the coming summer at the springs if she could secure him dr kennedy might console himself as best he could and she begged so hard to defer their marriage until the autumn that he gave up the contest and with a heavy heart prepared to turn his face homeward you need not make any more repairs until i come i'd rather see to them myself miss glendower said at parting and wondering what further improvements she could possibly suggest now that the parlour windows were all right the doctor bade her adieu and started for home hitherto maud had been his confidant keeping her trust so well that no one at laurel hill knew exactly what his intentions were and as was very natural immediately after his return he went to her for sympathy in his disappointment he found her weeping bitterly and ere he could lay before her his own grievances she appealed to him for sympathy and aid the man to whom her money was entrusted had speculated largely loaning some of it out west at twenty per cent investing some in doubtful railroad stocks and experimenting with the rest until by some unlucky chance he lost the whole and worse than all had nothing of his own with which to make amends in short maud was penniless and j c de vere in despair she had written to him immediately and he had come suggesting nothing offering no advice and saying nothing at first except that the man was mighty mean and he had never liked his looks after a little however he rallied somewhat and offered the consolatory remark that they were in a mighty bad fix i'll be honest he said and confess that i depended upon that money to set me up in business i was going to shave notes and in order to do so i must have some ready capital it cramps me he continued for as a married man my expenses will necessarily be more than they now are we can defer our marriage sobbed maud whose heart throbbed painfully with every word he uttered we can defer our marriage a while and possibly a part of my fortune may be regained or if you wish it i will release you at once you need not wed a penniless bride and maud hid her face in her hands while she awaited the answer to her suggestion j c de vere did love maud remington better than any one he had ever seen and though he caught eagerly at the marriage deferred he was not then willing to give her up and with one of his impetuous bursts he exclaimed i will not be released though it may be wise to postpone our bridal day for a time say until christmas next when i hope to be established in business and touched by the suffering expression of her white face he kissed her tears away and told her how gladly he would work for her painting love in a cottage with nothing else there until he really made himself believe that he could live on bread and water with maud provided she gave him the lion's share j c s great faults were selfishness indolence and love of money and maud's loss affected him deeply still there was no redress and playfully bidding her not to cry for the milkman's spilled milk he left her on the very day when dr kennedy returned maud knew j c was keenly disappointed that he was hardly aware what he was saying and she wept for him rather than for the money dr kennedy could offer no advice no comfort it had always been a maxim of his not to make that man her guardian 
but women would do everything wrong and then as if his own trials were paramount to hers he bored her with the story of his troubles to which she simply answered i am sorry and this was all the sympathy either gained from the other in the course of a few days maud received a long letter from james de vere he had heard from j c of his misfortune and very tenderly he strove to comfort her touching at once upon the subject which he naturally supposed lay heaviest upon her heart the marriage need not be postponed he said there was room in his house and a place in his own and his mother's affections for their cousin maud she could live there as well as not hampton was only half an hour's ride from rochester and j c who had been admitted at the bar could open an office in the city until something better presented perhaps i may set him up in business myself he wrote at all events dear maud you need not dim the brightness of your eyes by tears for all will yet be well next june shall see you a bride unless your intended husband refuse my offer in which case i may divine something better noble man was maud's exclamation as she finished reading the letter and if at that moment the two cousins rose up in contrast before her mind who can blame her for awarding the preference to him who had penned those lines and who thus kindly strove to remove from her pathway every obstacle to her happiness james de vere was indeed a noble-hearted man generous kind and self-denying he found his chief pleasure in doing others good and he had written both to maud and j c just as the great kindness of his heart had prompted him to write he did not then know that he loved maud remington for he had never fully analyzed the nature of his feelings toward her he knew he admired her very much and when he wrote the note j c withheld he said to himself if she answers this i shall write again and again and maybe he did not exactly know what lay beyond the maybe so he added we shall be very good friends but the note was not answered and when his cousin's letter came telling him of the engagement a sharp quick pang shot through his heart eliciting from him a faint outcry which caused his mother who was present to ask what was the matter only a sudden pain he answered laying his hand upon his side pleurisy perhaps the practical mother rejoined and supposing she was right he placed the letter in his pocket and went out into the open air it had grown uncomfortably warm he thought while the noise of the falling fountain in the garden made his head ache as it had never ached before and returning to the house he sought his pleasant library but not a volume in all those crowded shelves had power to interest him then and with a strange disquiet he wandered from room to room until at last as the sun went down he laid his throbbing temples upon his pillow and in his feverish dreams saw again the dark-eyed maud sitting on her mother's grave her face upturned to him and on her lip the smile that formed her greatest beauty the next morning the headache was gone and with a steady hand he wrote to his cousin and maud congratulations which he believed sincere that j c was not worthy of the maiden he greatly feared and he resolved to have a care of the young man and try to make him what maud's husband ought to be and when he heard of her misfortune he stepped forward with his generous offer which j c instantly refused he would never take his wife to live upon his relatives he had too much pride for that and the marriage must be deferred a few months would make no difference christmas was not far from june and by that time he could do something for himself thus he wrote to james who mused long upon the words a few months will make no difference thinking within himself if i were like other men and was about to marry maud a few months would make a good deal of difference but every one to their mind 
four weeks after this he went one day to canandaigua on business and having an hour's leisure ere the arrival of the train which would take him home he sauntered into the public parlour of the hotel near the window at the farther extremity of the room a young girl was looking out upon the passers-by something in her form and dress attracted his attention and he was approaching the spot where she stood when the sound of his footsteps caught her ear and turning round she disclosed to view the features of maud remington maud he exclaimed this is indeed a surprise i must even claim a cousin's right to kiss you and taking both her hands in his he kissed her blushing cheek coyly timidly for james de vere was unused to such things and not quite certain whether under the circumstances it was perfectly proper for him to do so or not leading her to the sofa he soon learned that she had come to the village to trade and having finished her shopping was waiting for her stepfather who had accompanied her and what of j c he asked after a moment's silence has he been to visit you more than once since the crisis as he calls it maud's eyes filled with tears for j c s conduct was not wholly satisfactory to her she remembered his loud protestations of utter disregard for her money and she could not help thinking how little his theory and practice accorded he had not been to see her since his flying visit in march and though he had written several times his letters had contained little else save complaints against their confounded luck she could not tell this to james de vere and she replied he is very busy now i believe in trying to make some business arrangement with the lawyer in whose office he formerly studied i am glad he has roused himself at last answered james he would not accept my offer for which i am sorry as i was anticipating much happiness in having my cousin maud at hampton during the summer you will remain at home i suppose no said maud hesitatingly or that is i have serious thoughts of teaching school as i do not like to be dependent on dr kennedy james de vere had once taught school for a few weeks by way of experiment and now as he recalled the heated room the stifling atmosphere the constant care and more than all the noisy shout of triumph which greeted his ear on that memorable morning when he found himself fastened out and knew his rule was at an end he shuddered at the thought of maud's being exposed to similar indignities and used all his powers of eloquence to dissuade her from her plan maud was frank open-hearted and impulsive and emboldened by james kind brotherly manner she gave in a most childlike manner her reason for wishing to teach if i am married next winter she said my wardrobe will need replenishing for j c would surely be ashamed to take me as i am and i have now no means of my own for purchasing anything in an instant james de vere's hand was on his purse but ere he drew it forth he reflected that to offer money then might possibly be out of place so he said i have no sister no girl cousin no wife and more money than i can use and when the right time comes nothing can please me more than to give you your bridal outfit may i maud and if you do not like to stay with dr kennedy come to hampton this summer and live with us will you maud i want you there so much and in the musical tones of his voice there was a deep pathos which brought the tears in torrents from maud's eyes while she declined the generous offer she could not accept just then dr kennedy appeared he was ready to go he said and bidding mr de vere good-bye maud was soon on her way home her spirits lighter and her heart happier for that chance meeting at the hotel one week later mr de vere wrote to her saying that if she still wished to teach she could have the school at hampton he had seen the trustees had agreed upon the price and had even selected her a boarding-place near by 
i regret said he that we live so far from the schoolhouse as to render it impossible for you to board with us you might ride i suppose and i would cheerfully carry you every day but on the whole i think you had better stop with mrs johnson this letter maud took at once to her brother from whom she had hitherto withheld her intention to teach as she did not wish to pain him unnecessarily with the dread of a separation which might never be deeply had he sympathized with her in her misfortune whispering to her that two-thirds of his own inheritance should be hers i can coax almost anything from father he said and when i am twenty-one i'll ask him to give me my portion and then i'll take you to europe you won't be old maud only twenty-seven and i shall be proud when the people say that beautiful woman with eyes like stars is the crippled artist's sister in all his plans he made no mention of j c whose conduct he despised and whose character he began to read aright maud will never marry him i hope he thought and when she brought to him the letter from james de vere the noble little fellow conquered his own feelings and with a hopeful heart as to the result of that summer's teaching he bade her go so it was all arranged and the next letter which went from maud to j c carried the intelligence that his betrothed was going to turn country school ma'am and teach the hampton brats their a b c's so at last he said to mrs kelsey and her niece between whom and himself there was a perfectly good understanding and to whom he talked of his future prospects without reserve mrs kelsey was secretly delighted for matters were shaping themselves much as she would wish her brother evinced no particular desire to have his daughter at home and she determined to keep her as long as there was the slightest chance of winning j c de vere he was now a regular visitor at her house and lest he should suspect her design she spoke often and respectfully of maud whose cause she seemed to have espoused and when he came to her with the news of her teaching she sympathized with him at once it would be very mortifying she said to marry a district schoolmistress though there was some comfort in knowing that his friends were as yet ignorant of the engagement let them remain so a while longer was the hasty answer of j c who as time passed on became more and more unwilling that the gay world should know of his engagement with one who was not an heiress after all thirteen hampton six happy weeks maud had been a teacher and though she knew j c did not approve her plan she was more than repaid for his displeasure by the words of encouragement which james always had in store for her many times had she been to the handsome home of the de veres and the lady mother whom she at first so much dreaded to meet had more than once stroked her silken curls calling her my child as tenderly as if she did indeed bear that relation to her james de vere was one of the trustees and in that capacity he visited the school so often that the wise villagers shook their heads significantly saying if he were any other man they should think the rights of j c were in danger the young schoolmistress's engagement with the fashionable jedediah was generally known and thus were the public blinded to the true state of affairs gradually james de vere had learned how dear to him was the dark-eyed girl he called his cousin maud there was no light like that which shone in her truthful eyes no music so sweet as the sound of her gentle voice no presence which brought him so much joy as hers no being in the world he loved so well but she belonged to another the time had passed when she might have been one she could never be his he said and with his love he waged a mighty battle a battle which lasted days and nights wringing from him more than one bitter moan as with his face bowed in his hands he murmured sadly the mournful words it might have been 
matters were in this condition when j c came one day to hampton accompanied by some city friends among whom were a few young ladies of the kelsey order maud saw them as they passed the schoolhouse in the village omnibus saw too how resolutely j c s head was turned away as if afraid their eyes would meet he wishes to show his resentment but of course he'll visit me ere he returns she thought and many times that day she cast her eyes in the direction of hampton park as the de vere residence was often called but she looked in vain and with a feeling of disappointment she dismissed her school and glad to be alone laid her head upon the desk falling ere long asleep but the day was warm and she was very tired so quietly she slept that she did not hear the roll of wheels nor the sound of merry voices as the party from the city rode by on their way to the depot neither half an hour later did she hear the hasty footstep which crossed the threshold of the door but when a hand was laid upon her shoulder and a well-known voice bade her awake she started up and saw before her james de vere he had been to her boarding-place he said and not finding her there had sought her in the schoolhouse i have two letters for you he continued one from your brother and one from j c from j c she repeated has he gone back why didn't he call on me he's a villain thought james de vere but he answered simply he had not time and so he wrote you instead and sitting down beside her he regarded her with a look in which pity admiration and love were all blended the former predominating at that moment and causing him to lay his hand caressingly on her forehead saying as he did so your head aches don't it maud maud's heart was already full and at this little act of sympathy she burst into tears while james drawing her to his side and resting her head upon his bosom soothed her as he would have done had she been his only sister he fancied that he knew the cause of her grief and his heart swelled with indignation toward j c who had that day shown himself unworthy of a girl like maud he had come to hampton without any definite idea as to whether he should see her or not ere his return but when as the omnibus drew near the schoolhouse and maud was plainly visible through the open window one of the ladies made some slighting remark concerning school-teachers generally he determined not to hazard an interview and quieted his conscience by thinking he would come out in a few days and make the matter right how then was he chagrined when in the presence of his companions his cousin said shall i send for miss remington she can dismiss her school earlier than usual and come up to tea dismiss her school cried one of the young ladies while the other the proud miss thayer whose grandfather was a peddler and whose great-uncle had been hanged exclaimed miss remington pray who is she that schoolmistress we saw in passing really mr de vere you have been careful not to tell us of this new acquaintance where did you pick her up and the diamonds on her fingers shone brightly in the sunshine as she playfully pulled a lock of j c s hair the disconcerted j c was about stammering out some reply when james astonished both at the apparent ignorance of his guest and the strangeness of his cousin's manner answered for him miss remington is our teacher and a splendid girl j c became acquainted with her last summer at laurel hill she is a stepsister of miss kennedy whom you probably know nelly kennedy's stepsister i never knew there was such a being said miss thayer while young robinson a lisping insipid dandy drawled out a stool marm j thee it's really romantic send for her of course a little discipline won't hurt any of us j c made a faint effort to rally but they choked him so hard that he remained silent while james regarded him with a look of cool contempt sufficiently indicative of his opinion 
at last when miss thayer asked if the bridal day were fixed he roused himself and thinking if he told the truth he should effectually deceive them he answered yes next christmas is the time appointed we were to have been married in june but the lady lost her fortune and the marriage was deferred oh teaching to purchase her bridal trousseau i'm dying to see it laughingly replied miss thayer while another rejoined lost her fortune was she then an heiress yes a milkman's heiress said j c with a slightly scornful emphasis on the name which he himself had given to maud at a time when a milkman's money seemed as valuable to him as that of any other man there was a dark stern look on the face of james de vere and as miss thayer the ruling spirit of the party had an eye on him and his broad lands she deemed it wise to change the conversation from the milkman's heiress to a topic less displeasing to their handsome host in the course of the afternoon the cousins were alone for a few moments when the elder demanded of the other do you pretend to love maud remington and still make light both of her and your engagement with her i pretend to nothing which is not real was j c s haughty answer but i do dislike having my matters canvassed by every silly tongue and have consequently kept my relation to miss remington a secret i cannot see her to-day but with your permission i will pen a few lines by way of explanation and glad to escape from the rebuking glance he knew he so much deserved he stepped into his cousin's library where he wrote the note james gave to maud under some circumstances it would have been a very unsatisfactory message but with her changed feelings towards the writer and james de vere sitting at her side she scarcely noticed how cold it was and throwing it down tore open louis's letter which had come in the evening mail it was very brief and hastily perusing its contents maud cast it from her with a cry of horror and disgust then catching it up she moaned oh must i go i can't i can't what is it asked mr de vere and pointing to the lines maud bade him read he did read and as he read his own cheek blanched and he wound his arm closely round the maiden's waist as if to keep her there and thus save her from danger dr kennedy had the smallpox so louis wrote and nelly who had been home for a few days had fled in fear back to the city hannah too had gone and there was no one left to care for the sick man save john and the almost helpless louis father is so sick he wrote and he says tell maud for humanity's sake to come if there was one disease more than another of which maud stood in mortal fear it was the smallpox and her first impulse was i will not go but when she reflected that louis too might take it and need her care her resolution changed and moving away from her companion she said firmly i must go for if anything befall my brother how can i answer to our mother for having betrayed my trust dr kennedy too was her husband and he must not be left to die alone mr de vere was about to expostulate but she prevented him by saying do not urge me to stay but rather help me to go for i must leave hampton to-morrow you will get someone to take my place as i of course shall not return and if i have it here she paused while the trembling of her body showed how terrible to her was the dread of the disease maud remington said mr de vere struck with admiration by her noble self-sacrificing spirit i will not bid you stay for i know it would be useless but if that which you so much fear comes upon you if the face now so fair to look upon be marred and disfigured until not a lineament is left of the once beautiful girl come back to me i will love you all the same 
as he spoke he stretched his arms involuntarily toward her and scarce knowing what she did she went forward to the embrace very lovingly he folded her for a moment to his bosom then turning her face to the fading sunlight which streamed through the dingy window he looked at it wistfully and long as if he would remember every feature pushing back the silken curls which clustered around her forehead he kissed her twice and then releasing her said forgive me maud if i have taken more than a cousin's liberty with you i could not help it bewildered at his words and manner maud raised her eyes wonderingly to his and looking into the shining orbs he thought how soft how beautiful they were but little little did he dream their light would e'er be quenched in midnight darkness a while longer they talked together mr de vere promising to send a servant to take her home in the morning then as the sun had set and the night shadows were deepening in the room they bade each other good-bye and ere the next day's sun was very high in the heavens maud was far on her way to laurel hill End of chapters 12 and 13